This is Michael Osterlink. Welcome to O Radio, where we explore individual and social, social transformation through collaborative action. I'm a psychotherapist with a transpersonal and somatic specialization. I'm also a transpartisan social entrepreneur and head instructor at Silfit's Unbeatable Mind Academy and executive coach at Spartan 7. Today's show is brought to you by Synergy Float Center, a premier flotation therapy center located in Old Town Alexandria in Virginia. When you take time to slow down, amazing things can happen. Take care of yourself by booking a float, sauna, or one of the other many services today. You can book online at synergyfloatcenter.com. Today's guest is Dr. Kirk Parsley, MD, who is a former Navy SEAL turned physician, turned physician for the SEALs, turned health and sleep optimization consultant and performance enhancement coach for some of the most driven achievers on the planet. Dr. Parsley has been a member of the Academy of Sleep Medicine since 2006 and served as Navy Special Warfare's expert on sleep medicine. He is certified in hormone modulation, modulation, age management medicine, and continues to consult for multiple corporations and professional athletes and teams. Doc Parsley is a creator of Doc Parsley Sleep Remedy, Sleep Supplement, lectures worldwide on sleep, wellness, and hormonal optimization. He's also the author of the international bestseller book, Sleep to Win. How you doing, Kirk? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Michael? Good. Good to see you, man. Yeah. Long time no chat. It Long has been a while. So yeah. um, we're going to have to push my monitor back a little bit because I felt like you were closer than six feet. And I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's too big and too clear. Like I, I, I shouldn't be able to touch. How's that? <laughs> Should you spray me? <laughs> yeah. Are you practicing safe computing? Yeah. Did you hear about that? Uh, that elderly woman that got punched in the ER by some, by another woman. No. Yeah. There's so some, some, I think she was like 86 or 89 or something. And she went to the emergency room with a bowel obstruction. And, um, one of the patients in there saw that it's like a 40 something year old woman, uh, saw that the woman wasn't maintaining her six feet distance and got upset and jumped up and slapped her and uh, knocked her to the ground. She cracked her head open and died. Oh my God. And the woman who hit her is on trial for criminal mischievousness or something like that. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that should be like manslaughter, but even worse, right? Cause manslaughter, you don't intentionally hit somebody. It's just like, you know, you, you drive your car, you're like, you don't pay attention, you drive your car, you drink and drive or something like that. Like, but she actually meant to cause harm. Yeah. <laughs> Just didn't mean to kill her. So maybe that should be murder second degree or something, but crazy. Like how, you know, this is right up your alley, man. Yeah. The thing that this makes me think of, and then we get to the actual show, but just like an aside that popped in my head. Um, you know, this is what I've just been kind of ruminating over. So, um, I mean, and anybody with a psychology, any kind of formal psychology degree has been kind of presented with that information that you would have probably been a Nazi too if you lived in Germany. Like you would have done the horrible things that those people did. Uh, and everyone else say, oh, no, not me. I wouldn't have done that. But if you look at how people are starting to treat each other after like a week of being inside and like you know, the, the bile and vitriol that people are attacking others for because they don't think they're engaging in the right rules they're not being socially responsible they're putting people at risk and i hate them and i want them to die and i want awful things and i want them arrested and all this other stuff 
all right, well, there's the beginning. Like there's the, there's the first step of proof you need right there that this could go really, really, really badly if it's not handled well, you know? You know, speaking of that, um, I've actually seen online people referring to people as locusts and other such kind of dehumanizing names like them over there, either right. people or, you know, however they want to contextualize it, but like just dehumanizing groups of yeah. people, which is not but, new, but right. I would imagine just speaking to what you're speaking, you're yeah, talking and, to, we'll just see and, increasing numbers of people doing that to each other. And, and some high level executive just got, um, fired. I forget what, what her job was that, um, something political, I think, but, you know, a high level, high profile executive at a big corporation was publishing like Facebook tweets or something or Facebook, whatever the hell it is, Facebook tweet. I'm, mi I'm mixing my social platforms there. Uh, but she was posting things on social media, basically saying that all Trump supporters should give up their ventilators to someone else and die, you know, um, it's like, wow. I mean, that that's, that's not something you say, even if you like, those are inside words, even if you feel it, you know, just the, just the fact that anybody feels like that would ever be okay to put in a social environment. It just seems really strange to me. I mean, that's like, you know, that's something a six, a drunk 16 year old boy would say, you know, that's not something yeah. that an adult uh, with a pre, you know, with a functioning prefrontal cortex would, would post, you know, and that just ugh, crazy. All right. This, well, this is definitely a social experiment. I mean, if you yeah. want to kind of look at a 30,000 foot view at the species level. Yeah. I mean, it's really fascinating if you just want to be dispassionate about it. Yeah. We're definitely, we're definitely going to see some interesting stuff. Yeah. You know, uh, and no matter how quickly this stuff, the, the restrictions get lifted, you know, there's going to be social and economic impact that, you know, we're, we're good. We're going to see, we're going to see a lot of, a lot of changes, a lot of, a lot of interesting things in the world to come. Yeah, and I think from a psychology point of view, I think unfortunately we'll see people revert back to older, less evolved behaviors. Right. Majority of people, that just seems to be the tendency under stress. And right. there's usually a select few who kind of evolve past where we are. Right. But yeah. Yeah, and and what's really scary about that, I agree with you 100%. Um, and what's really scary about that is that we've already been, you know, over the last decade or so, we've really been reverting towards this more tribal. Yeah. nature right just like the whole uh what do they call it when they kind of uh, they're calling so uh, they're dividing themselves into social groups based on like one 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 thing like their sexual orientation like I, there's a name for it i'm blanking on it um but you know it's like it's us and them and it's like you know we're we're the oppressed ones because we have this color skin or we're the oppressed ones because we live here or we're the oppressed ones because we have the sexual preference or we're the oppressed ones whatever. And so there's all these little micro tribes, you know, growing all around the country. And then you add something like this, it's like, just, you know, kind of shutting off the prefrontal cortex again to say that. And like, we're going back to the lizard brain type of behavior, yep. you know, which is fight, flee, fornicate <laughs> and, and freeze, right? Like, I mean, that's, that's kind of like basal behavior. It's like what people do on Ambien because their neocortex gets shut right off. How do you like that segue? You see that? Oh my God, that's a, that's that right in. That's a brilliant segue to talking about sleep, stress, and immune function. <laughs> yeah, we should probably talk about something that I'm actually educated in instead of me spewing my opinions about all this stuff. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to Ambien in a minute. Okay. <laughs> but it's actually interesting because you did talk about the prefrontal cortex and kind of like uh, losing that capability and, and and, and, and empowering the more lizard part of your brain. 
And that would seem to me from reading the research and listening to you give lectures and stuff over the years, that is par for the course when you're sleep deprived, no? Absolutely. Um, and what, you know, I, I've, uh, just my nature, like uh, I, I, I'm really trying to analyze myself and make sure I don't have like this superhero complex that I'm trying to save everybody. I really, I really feel like this is coming from a good place, but I am like so impassioned every day to get out of bed and settle people down and, you know, um, put, you know, put a denominator on the stuff that the media is not putting denominators on. And the primary reason for that is to decrease stress. And the primary reason to decrease stress is to improve the quality of people's lives, but secondarily to improve the likelihood that the community is going to survive. Right. And so if everybody's running around stressed all the time and it's us and them and our tribe and their tribe and, you know, competition, um, everybody hating each other, we're doomed no matter what happens. Like the virus is then the least important part here, right? It's like yeah. the social behavior is what's going to kill us, not the virus. Um, so you know, what I, what I keep harping on people about, you know, the reason I want you to, you know, when, when the newspaper says, you know, death rate skyrockets, that's an emotionally charged word. So first of all, like do yourself a favor and don't read that crap, you know, like go to NIH, go to CDC, go to, you know, world of me, just like get your, get raw data and like, you know, and put your own narrative on it. Like you don't need other people's narratives right now. Um, but you know, it, you know, in the absence of that, if you're exposed to these, these narratives, like, you know, these emotionally charged words, you know, things that were doomed and things are plummeting that, you know, economies plummeting and free fall and the deaths are skyrocketing and like, well, th those words don't mean anything. Right. But they're put in there for a reason. They're put in there to, to cause emotional stir. Um, and we don't need that right now. That's the worst thing. So when you go, okay, well, deaths went from 3000 to 4,000 really quickly. Okay. That that's a, that's a big deal, but okay. How many people have died period over the last month <clears throat> and how many of those people died from coronavirus? Right. And so if you look at that, it's like, it's significantly less than 1%, right? It's like something like 0.03% of all deaths have, you know, in, in the last three months have been from coronavirus. That probably isn't where you should put in your, put in your focus. If you have a 99.97% chance of dying of something else, you probably shouldn't be worried about dying from this. And all of your loved ones are the same way. So if we can decrease that stress, like if we can get people denominators and reframe things and get them, now we can decrease stress. And, the, and when I say it's good, it's obviously good for mood. Everybody knows it's good for mood and socialization. But what a lot of people don't know is that when, you have, when you're under enough stress, when your stress hormones are high enough, there's no longer a willpower, willpower component to it, right? We know in fight or flight, you essentially, you have no voluntary control at all almost, right? Like everything is an impulse. Everything is basal brain, right? It's all lizard brain stuff by design. You don't, it, it helps you to not think in that situation and your lungs dilate and you take in more air and your pupils dilate and you take in more light and a bigger, a broader uh, field of, of uh, vision. You hyper-focus on whatever that threat is you know, you're, uh, you start mobilizing your stored glucose, your, your glycogen stores, that increases your blood glucose, your, your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure go up, your, you know, your peripheral uh, blood vessels dilate, you start getting more, and you become faster and stronger and more enduring with faster reflexes and a higher pain threshold. 
and like all this amazing stuff. So you're almost like a super superhero version of yourself, right? Just like you're running at the absolute maximum performance this body can give you. But what's not happening? You know, we alluded to it. You're not thinking like yeah. period. You're not thinking. Yeah. Uh, you're not categorizing anything. You're not interpreting anything other than threat, no threat, threat, no threat. Like that's all there's, there's no higher order thinking going on. Your immune system isn't working right at all. Because your immune system doesn't matter if you're under fight or flight. If you don't get away from that threat, doesn't matter if you can fight off infection. Doesn't matter if you can repair tissues. Doesn't matter if you can do anything. Doesn't matter if you can digest. Doesn't matter if you can reproduce. You have to get out of this. And so all of that's impaired. And so if fight or flight's here, well, we know the exact opposite of fight or flight is deep sleep. I mean, that's the lowest stress hormones you will ever have at any time of your day, at any time of your life is during slow wave sleep. And it's exactly the opposite. Your body is almost completely useless, right? You know, you can't fight, you can't flee, you can't like you can, you know, your eyes still work, your ears still work, like everything still works. You're just not paying attention to it. You're not processing anything. But your digestion is maxed out and your immune system is maxed out. And your all your repairs, all your anabolic behaviors your brain is remodeling itself, right? It's emotionally categorizing things. It's connecting the dots between information you've learned today and the stuff you already knew. It's getting rid of junk and making durable pathways for things that are, seem important. So, and that's how you want to approach the day, right? Like, wouldn't you, like, if I said, hey, here are your options, like, we're going to approach this crisis either stressed out with you in fight or flight or in the most cerebral, calm, rational, place you could possibly be with the most amount of resources for that area because nobody's gonna have to fist fight this virus off right like we need to fight off the fear of this virus we need to shine the dark and you know shine the light into the darkness and get rid of the fear that's going to allow us to make better decisions that's going to make us more socially responsible that's make that would make me more likely to treat somebody else with empathy and kindness. If I feel like they're threatening the community, I might go, well, maybe there's a reason they're threatening the community. Right. You know, like, I, I don't know, like, like who knows like any scenario you can envision, like there's always, there's always a reason. Right. Um, and yeah, maybe some people are being flippant about it, but uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm under stress, I will perceive that as a threat. Right. The closer I am to fight or flight, the less, intellectual cognitive capacity I have to consider why something's happening. Let's, let's make a distinction, if you would, between acute stress response for a real threat versus right. what I hear you talking about is really a chronic stress response, right. which is not short-lived, but over the long haul, which then has all these negative consequences. Because yeah. I think it's important for the listening of you and audience to understand, like, an acute stress response, if there's a real threat, is completely legitimate. You don't want to necessarily be in a relaxed parasympathetic space because you can't necessarily survive so well, but you right. don't want to be um, in a chronic stress state because then you have all the consequences that you're speaking about. Can you kind of make those distinctions and talk about the differences? Yeah, so and the, the, the way I, I like to explain it is, if, um, it, and you know, I, I'm, I'm going to, tie some big concepts together here that I'll, I'll be um, uh, layman enough to where it'll be slightly inaccurate, but the, 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 the concept is in the, you know, the concept of the metaphor is good. So if, so we, if we just take those two pieces and go, okay, um, there's two extremes we can be in. We can be in fight or flight and we can be in deep sleep. And those are the exact opposite ends of the spectrum as far as our physiology is con concerned, right? 
So important thing to realize, you know, cortisol being the primary stress hormone people talked about, so we'll just use that as the marker. So cortisol comes up, right, from that first deep sleep segment you go to, you know, in your first sleep section of the night. Uh, that's the lowest level of cortisol you're going to have for, you know, 24 hours until you come back to sleep. And then it progressively creeps up over the night. And at some point, it is, uh, it, 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 the level of cortisol is high enough to make you awake, right? Now, it goes up a little bit during the day, uh, depending on your environment. But here's the important thing to realize is that you need that to be awake, and to be awake means that you're responding to your environment, right? So an extrapolation of that is you need that to respond to your environment. The more dangerous your environment is, the more cortisol, the more calm your environment is, the less cortisol, right? So you can get through the day with a moderate amount of cortisol if you don't have a lot of threats and a lot of stressors and a lot of things that are threatening your well-being um, or your vision for the future that you have for yourself. And um, so, in, you know, in order to to keep things uh, relative, I just say the, the cortisol system is essentially protecting you from external threats. So stuff outside of my skin, my immune system for that is my adrenal system, right? My adrenal cortical system, which is my cortisol system. Once something is into my body, I have an immune system, right? That we, that we know that that has two branches. And between those two things, I'm covered for anything threatening me out there and anything threatening me inside. Again, those two things are at opposite extremes though, right? If something's threatening my body outside, I can't do anything about the inside. I don't have the resources. There's a certain amount of resources. So, you know, you mentioned parasympathetic. It, I'm sure most of your listeners know that, you know, there's a, there's a sympathetic and a parasympathetic of the autonomic, you call it the automatic. So, you know, it, there, it's controlling uh, things beyond your conscious control. Well, the more parasympathetic you are, to an extreme, again, I'm, I'm being overly generalized, but the more parasympathetic you are, the more anabolic you are. And what does anabolic mean? Anabolic means that you're taking substrate from the environment and you're making bigger, stronger things. That's anabolic, right? Anabolic steroids make bodybuilders put on big muscles. But every organ in your body has potential of being anabolic or catabolic. Catabolic is taking big structures and breaking them down into fuel sources. So in that example, when I was talking about the fight or flight, uh, the cortisol leading to the release of stored glycogen, well, that, that glycogen was formed under anabolic state. It's, pro it's providing you reserve fuel. Well, we're under so much stress, we want to call on those reserves and we want to pull them all out. So now I'm catabolic. Well, it's designed for that, but I'm catabolic. Same thing with my muscles. My muscles are the best protein source for me when I'm catabolic. So if I don't have enough amino acids in my bloodstream and I need to be on it, I need to be using, uh, I need amino acids to fuel myself, well then I'm gonna get it from my body. So chronic stress and chronic sleep deprivation, you really can't distinguish between the two of them, right? They're the same thing, the two sides of the same coin, right? So when you have high stress hormones, you're more catabolic, right? You're less anabolic, the, the more sympathetic you are. And we can tie those two together fairly loosely. Again, in uh, layman's terms, the more cortisol, the more sympathetic, right? Like you're, you're just heading that way. You know, the more rest and relax, the more parasympathetic. So if we know there's like an ideal range in there, 
which is kind of like the way you evolved, <laughs> you know? So when you get out of bed and you say, you know, let's say, uh, you know, cortisol of 100 is fight or flight. And maybe you get out of bed with a cortisol of 15, right? And that's enough to keep you awake. And if you're gonna lay on your couch and read a book, you might be 15 or 20, like for a while, but then if somebody crashes into your front, the front of your house, you're probably gonna go to 50, right? Or, you know, somebody starts shooting, you're probably going to 100, right? Like, so it's going to keep you alert with your in proportion. Well, let's say, let's say that you're under chronic stress, right? So, so, so acute stress would be, we have anabolic reserves, something happens, there's a finite period to solve this issue. Once that issue goes away, I don't need to think about it anymore. So we're gonna do that fight or flight, we're gonna have all anabolic reserves we need, Everything's going to be stationed. We're going to get rid of that stress and everything's going to recover. When we go to sleep that night, everything's going to be reset. All of our hormones are going to be reset. And that's, you know, anabolic hormones include the hormones that drive your appetite and how you partition fuel, whether or not your brain is sensing your body fat, like whether or not you're hungry, what your impulse control is like all this, all this is tied to anabolic versus catabolic. So the acute, the acute stress of the system is perfect for that, right? Our internal immune system, they're good. it's good for the long haul. It's for good for a long fight, right? Like you get a virus in there, it takes you two weeks to fight it off. No problem. Like constant round the clock, you'll be tired because you're using, you're using fuel, right? You're using stored fuel to fight off this infection. But like that system's designed to do that a lot better. The external system is not designed to be sustained. And when you're sustained, the really simplistic way of looking at that is going, well, you're just closer to fight or flight. The longer you're close to fight or flight, the more those, the more your uh, phenotypic expression is going to be consistent with something in fight or flight. So I just said, you're gonna be catabolic. You're gonna waste muscle, right? Like you're gonna lose muscle. You're, you're, you're gonna have poor glucose control. You're gonna have poor cognitive think, you know, uh, poor cognitive functioning. Your, you know, your, uh, your simulator is, is Sapolsky calls it, right? Your prefrontal cortex that allows you to go, and based on everything I'm receiving, I think I could do these three things and this would probably lead to that and that would probably lead to this. So I'm going to choose this. Like that's, pre that's prefrontal cortex. That's what everybody needs in modern society all the time right now. But especially during this, we need, we need this to the nth degree because now we can look at um, you know, we can, we can look at some, uh, inflated, you know, jargon or numbers, uh, meant to present the worst case scenario as the inevitable. And we can go, ah, come on. Like, you know, what, what does that really mean? Do I really believe that? And, and now we can control our stress so that we don't run around at a cortisol of 50 instead of 15 or 20. And, and I just want to kind of stop for a second. And it's important, I think, to note, um, <clears throat> that, when you're rational in that space, when you have the prefrontal cortex activated and you're taking better decisions in terms of like how you read the signs in the environment or signals in the environment doesn't mean, and it also would mean too, that you take appropriate steps to protect yourself and your family and your community, et cetera. Right. Yeah. And, and that's what, and that's what the big human brain is good for, right? We don't, we don't risk getting attacked by predators every night. Because we build, we use our brains to build societies and communities and have fences and law enforcement and houses and, you know, for, you know, like, so what, what's made us so safe on this planet and what's made us the top species on this planet is our brain. 
you don't want to give that thing up. Our bodies really kind of suck, right? Compared to any, any other animals. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to fight a raccoon, right? Like that's not a dangerous animal, but like we're not that great at being predators unless we have tools, right? Weapons that we can forge and so forth. So it's really important to preserve that. And the, you know, one of the biggest problems with impairing your neocortex in general, but more specifically your prefrontal cortex is that your, your introspection goes down as that, as that function goes down. So you are making worse decisions. You're doing dumber things, right? You're, you're losing your willpower. You're being, you're being more impulsive. You're taking more risks than you should be taking, but you're not even aware of it. It's not like you're saying, Hey, I'm going to throw caution to the wind because my brain thinks I'm starving and my brain thinks I'm being preyed upon. Right? So the only time any animal on this planet sleep deprives themselves is if they're starving to death, they're in a famine. So they need to wake up earlier and go to sleep later so they can forage and go farther and find more food. And if they're being preyed upon, so if they're being stalked by a predator, they're going to get very little sleep and they're going to keep getting up and going. Now, the other thing that happens to us as well when we sleep deprive ourselves is they become much more impulsive and that's a protective thing, right? Because if I'm starving to death, I'm going to try to eat something I've never eaten before because it looks a little dangerous or I need to get like, if I'm a bear, I need to get all the way down to that house and get in their trash can. Whereas before I wouldn't have done that, but now it's like, it's driving for survival. And you know, if you're chronically running around at this high level and your brain is chronically functioning like that, you're going to function like something other than the smartest species on this planet and definitely something lower than the optimal you. Um, and it has huge catabolic effects, right? I mean, the reason, the reason we uh, tend to, or not the reason, one of the reasons we, we tend to die when we get older is we have fewer resources. You know, how many six foot four, 250 pound muscular 80 year old men do you see? Right. You don't because you become more catabolic over time and like you break it down and you have fewer resources, right? Or thymus shrinks, like there's some other reasons for the immunity, but I mean, you basically have less capacity to handle stress and, and, you know, an illness that ends your life is stress, right? It's, it's a form of stress. Let me ask you about on the acute side, you talk about the reserves that are necessary to get you through an acute episode. So you had the stress response and you, you kind of laid out a lot of the stress response, what that looks like and the need for the reserves. I have to imagine that us as a people here in the United States, maybe Western Europe as well, but mostly here in the States, because of our generally poor sleep, our poor nutrition, our lack of fitness and movement, you know, those kind of things that our reserves are even worse <laughs> than many others and what's actually needed to get through an acute stress response, let alone how to deal with a chronic stress response. Can you right. speak a for that? Yeah, so, um, you know, the unfortunate reality is that we're not all equal, you know, regardless of what anyone wants to say. You know, we have the Olympics for a reason, because we're not all equal, right? Like, no, you know, nobody wants to see me figure skate or, you know, run 100 meters or run a marathon, like, because I'm, I'm, I'm not sensational, like, I'm not super capable in that. So why would anybody, you know, be amazed by my capacity? Like, we're not all equal, right? But, you know, people are smarter, people are more capable. And guess what? 
people's bodies are more resilient, right? Some people's immune systems work better. Some people can take a lot more damage. Some people can sustain a highly stressed, highly catabolic uh, situation for a really long time. And they don't break down as quickly as other people. And so like there's this misnomer about um, the super sleepers. Have you heard of this? Like there's, there's this gene combination that they found and what you'll hear about is there's this gene combination that's been found and the people who have it, um, they only they only need five hours of sleep a night or something like that. So it's not true, right? <laughs> what the gene combination has shown and the research just gets bastardized because people make it fit their narrative. Uh, what the research has showed is that they suffer less. They, they decay more slowly than the average person with that amount of sleep deprivation. For, for our biohacking friends, can you repeat that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there is no situation in any research anywhere in the world over the history of sleep research, which isn't that long, like 70, 80 years, I don't know. There's no situation ever where it's shown that anybody does better, <laughs> thrives off of less than approximately eight hours, like pretty damn close to, to eight hours, within probably 20 or 30 minutes of that. There are people who suffer less, right? Just like, you know, you can think about somebody who goes through SEAL training, for example. Jocko, who wakes up at right. 4 o'clock in the morning. Right, like Jocko gets up at 4.30 every morning and beats himself into submission and works, uh, works out like a beast and just goes, 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 and he's still a healthy guy. Like, most people can't handle that, right? Like, most people can't do that. You know, your resiliency, like there's a, obviously a mental toughness component that can be developed. There's physical strength and mass that can be developed. But at the end of the day, there's, there's genetic, right? Like I could train the rest of my life and I would have never, I never, I, I could have trained from the day I was born and I would have never been able to outbox Mike Tyson, right? Like I, I don't have the genetics to be Mike Tyson um, or, you know, any other example. Like I would have, I could have studied computers and I wouldn't have outperformed Bill Gates or Steve Jobs. Like, like I mean, th there, there's potential. So uh, um, it does no good to compare yourself to other people for that reason, right? So your ability to sustain stress should be measured by you. So there are things that are important to you. And so when I, when I talk to people, you know, outside the pandemic, when I'm just saying, hey, what, you know, what are your goals? What what do you want to perform better at or what do you want to continue to perform good at well in it, it doesn't matter like I, I don't care if you want to be a better father or you want to be a better ceo or you want to make more money or you want to be faster or stronger or leaner you more zen like i don't care like whatever your goal is that's your goal right there's something you're working towards and it, the 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 great news <laughs> is that the way to reach all of that is exactly the same. It's all sleep, nutrition, activity slash exercise and stress mitigation, right? Some, some sort of mindfulness or, you know, some sort of stress control component in your life. That's it. The four pillars are the four pillars are the four pillars forever. Like that's there. Like, and so it doesn't matter what distressor is. So right now, obviously people are saying, well, I, I want to get through this, period as quickly as possible. Well, you don't have any control over that. I want to get through this as unscathed as possible. You have control over that. And I wanted to, I want the community to be unscathed as much as possible. Well, we have control over that too, right? Because me being the optimal you, me, and you being the optimal you, and my neighbor being the optimal him, and this other neighbor being the optimal her, we now function as a society better because I'm performing better as an individual and every one of us are. 
and we have a better chance of getting out of this and having a good outcome. Now, I've, you know, if we go back uh, uh, three months or go forward six months, um, you know, people's goals will be the other things that I've talked about, but it's exactly the same. If you want to be faster, stronger, better looking, smarter, a better guitar player, a better parent, a better spouse, a better lover, but doesn't matter. Same things. And supplements are supplemental, right? You add this by definition, you optimize the four pillars and then you supplement on top of that. Let's, let's talk about that. So let's just say you, you have someone who's dialed in their nutrition so, you know, you know, following our friend Rob, they're paleo-ish, keto-ish, or whatever their thing is, right? Right. Um, whatever, they, whatever their ism is at the time. Yeah. Like. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's a whole foods, you know, less right. processed, less standard American diet crap. Yeah, they're um, eating food, right? That, eating, that's, yeah. I like to like to simplify. It's like, eat food. Food, yeah. that's the stuff your grandparents would have considered food. That's food. Like, just right eat on. that. Perfect. Way so and measure if you want to. Just eat food. <laughs> they're doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're down and they're stressed because you know they're doing meditation or some 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 somatic or awareness practice to manage their stress, arousal control. Right. They're doing some fitness and movement. Maybe they're doing CrossFit and some martial arts or bar ray. You know whatever their thing is. They right. have movement and fitness practices throughout the day and throughout the weeks. Let's now talk and, about and to be clear, to be clear, if they're not exercisers and they don't have physical fitness goals, they might just need to do their own gardening and wash their own cars and clean their own house and not Perfect. like they don't need to be on a fitness schedule unless they have fitness goals, right? Roger that. Right. Okay, fair enough. So let's say they dialed all that in, even on the fitness side, they're just washing the car, gardening, or whatever, going for a walk with their dogs, something, right. some movement. They're not just sitting right. around the computers or in front of the television. Right. Let's talk about the sleep part mm. because, you know, you've already pointed out that everyone needs some version of close to eight hours of sleep. There's no getting right. around it. If you do less than that, you're actually, you, you might have, you might be able to make it longer than others in terms of de degradation, but you're still heading in the wrong direction. Right. Um, but a lot of Americans use sleep aids and you, we started this conversation after that for unfortunate example you gave with that woman of right. ambient. And a lot of Americans use sleep aids like that, Ambien or, or um, other over-the-counter prescription drugs. Can you talk about why those are not really helpful and actually they're counterindicated if you actually want good sleep? First, we'll start. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean they're, they're, they're really contraindicated at this point. Um, you know, this is different than 10 years ago, probably, I don't know if you and I met that long ago, but close to that, kind of that time. Um, where the pharmaceutical industry was still controlling the data around sleep aids. And so even though I was up there saying how bad they were, I didn't know how, how bad they were even, right? Um, because it, it turns out that once they had to, they got you know, successfully sued a lot um, for, the, for the side effects of their drugs. And then they had to sort of turn over more data. And like once they turned over more data, it turns out that sleep aids don't really make you sleep more. They, they change the subjective experience of sleep so that people feel like they've slept more. But I want to say it's something like 16 minutes, 20 minutes difference total. But equally as important, if not more important, is uh, what we call the sleep architecture, right? So when you, when you, when you get in bed to go to sleep, you, know, you, you go through progressive predictable stages and you stay in a sleep cycle for a sort of fairly predictable amount of time. So 
you'll get into bed and you'll be in stage one sleep as you start drifting off. And like I was talking about earlier, your, all of your senses still work, right? It's not like your eyeballs get turned off or your ears get turned off. Like everything still works. Just your neocortex isn't processing it, right? You aren't like none of the sensation means anything until we process it, right? So we slowly quit processing it. And once we quit processing it, we go into what we call sleep, which means that we're not paying attention to our environment. Now it's still there, right? Because a loud noise can still wake us up and the bright light flashing would wake us up. You know, even though our, our eyes work, our, our eyes work, but we aren't paying attention to them. But if the light flashes, it'll wake us up. I, I unfortunately learned that I put this on my, uh, on my phone. There's a, uh, cause I hate to have my ringer on. I hate, I, like, I just, I hate that ping. Uh, but there's certain times I don't want to miss, you know, uh, it's important. I'm waiting for something. And so I, there's a, you can turn on the strobe where you're, where it'll flash if somebody's calling you or if you get a text, a little flash. So I was laying in bed and sometime I was asleep and it somehow got incorporated into my dream that was on. And there was like this, it was like this drum beat. It was like this thumping. I was, I literally felt like I was getting punched. It was like this assault to my senses. Boom, 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 boom. And I was laying there closed. I closed my eyes. I'm going, okay, that that's not my heart rate. Like I was, as I was starting to wake up, I'm like, it's not my heart rate. Like what, it, like, am I having a stroke or like what's going on? Right. Because this is like, a, it's kind of scary. Like I didn't know what the, I'd never experienced anything like it before. It's totally novel. And then I opened my eyes and this thing was flashing and it was, you know, it wasn't even shining in my eyes. It was like off to the side of the bed, kind of below the level of the bed. And it's just, yeah. So anyway, uh, total, total, total aside there. Um, what was I talking about again? Lost, lost <laughs> train of the the uh, different uh, levels of sleep. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when you're, um, when you're getting into, when you get into bed, you're in stage or one stages, sleep. stages, you're, you're starting to get, you're starting to, uh, pay less attention. Stage two is transitional sleep. Stages three and four and you know, nomenclature changes, but I'm just, I'm going to use the old stuff. Um, that's deep sleep. You go through, you get into stages three and four and you can go through brainwaves on this. So, uh, basically, uh, stage one sleep is the beginning of alpha, right? And stage two would be deeper alpha, sort of alpha theta blend, and then there's theta and then there's delta, the deepest, uh, slowest wave sleep. And then it progresses over time. And after a certain amount of time in this really deep sleep, you start crawling back out and you go from four to three to two to one, actually past being awake and up to REM. And you do a little bit of REM and then you come back down and that's one sleep cycle, right? So that architecture should be predictable, you know, fairly, like not down to like the millisecond, but we can say yeah, uh, at the beginning of the night, your first sleep cycles, sleep cycles tend to be between 90 and 120 minutes. Your first sleep cycle will be predominantly deep sleep. And there'll be a tiny bit of REM. Your last sleep cycle right before you wake up is going to be predominantly REM with a tiny bit of deep. And there's different things going on, right? I told you the most anabolic period, right? That's the that's deep sleep. So that's when you're that's when you're repairing stuff, right? Because we damage ourselves all day, every day, right? And we create waste products, and those waste products have to be removed. And that's all happening during deep sleep. So that that's like you know the rebuilding, like cleaning up the waste and the rebuilding. And then the REM is more dealing with emotional and cognitive and learning, and like we're reorganizing our brain and our brain chemistry. And then that controls everything. If you think about it, the entire purpose of sleeping 
is to get ready for tomorrow. And you're using today as the model. Today's the template. Everybody wants to talk about modeling. Okay, what am I going to do tomorrow? Nobody knows, but my guess is it's going to be pretty close to what I did today. So let's get me ready to do that again tomorrow with a little less damage, if possible, right? Um, and so if, if the contract was signed, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of years ago, this body that it needs eight hours to reset, and you only give it six hours to reset, you can get the full reset, right? And, and we can talk about the consequences of that. But to answer your question, when you use things to help you sleep, nothing is making you sleep. There are no sleep drugs anywhere on the market that make you sleep. What they do is they dissociate your neocortex from your lizard brain. And in dissociation, you aren't paying attention to your environment. And if you aren't paying attention to your environment, you think you're sleeping. You could be wide awake playing video games. You could be driving your car to the store, getting a gallon of ice cream, coming home and eating it. You aren't paying attention. Your neocortex is dissociated. Your perception will be that you were asleep all of that time. And so once we found that out, we're like, man, that seems like a pretty big problem. Now, the other thing is that it, it gets rid of about 80% sleep. So prescription sleep aids ruin about 70 to 80% of REM sleep. So you're only getting now 20 to 30% of REM sleep. And we know that's approximately half the contract we've agreed to, right? Yeah. This eight hours, half of that's REM. And now we're losing 70 to 80% of that. It seems like a big deal. You're losing 10, 20, maybe up to 30% of deep sleep. That seems like a big deal. If you use alcohol, it's the reverse. You lose about 70 to 80% of the deep sleep. And then you lose you know, 10 to 30% of the REM sleep. So if you use alcohol and sleep drugs, <laughs> like all the SEALs were doing when I first started this game, they weren't getting either, right? And they were coming to me with the same performance issues that you would expect an obese, pre-diabetic, 65-year-old uh, man to be coming to talk to me about. And the symptoms were exactly the same, exactly the same. And I didn't recognize it. I mean, I could, this is all retrospectively. I can look back and say, that's what that would look like. But it, it just doesn't, if you aren't getting the right cycles of sleep, it's not actually sleep, right? It's like eating McDonald's and, you know, packaged foods from the processed aisles in the grocery store. You're eating, you aren't nourishing, right? It's not the same thing. Like, okay, you're getting calories in, you're surviving. You're getting some sleep in, you're surviving. But you aren't even coming close to optimizing. Like, not even, not anywhere in the neighborhood of it. Um, and all, and all sleep aids do that. All sleep aids, that's what they do. Now, the antihistamines, they work slightly differently. So the, the sleep drugs and the benzodiazepines, those work on the GABA system. And the GABA is what's supposed to slow the brain down. But they have these drugs. The original biohackers were pharma. And they had this drug. And they said, hey, binding to that receptor on the cell is how GABA works. We're going to make something that works a 1,000 times better than GABA. And we're going to put that in your brain and that's going to really make you sleep. No, it's really going to dissociate your brain, but you're going to think it's sleep and your subjective experience of sleep. Isn't that great, right? We don't, if we sleep well, we don't really remember sleep. And in fact, the complete absence of memory makes us feel like we slept well. But what the hell are these drugs doing? Complete absence of memory. You have no recollection whatsoever. It's like, man, I must've slept really well. Nope. You only slept Let's be generous. You slept 30 minutes more than you would have if you didn't take the drug, but you destroyed 50% of your sleep architecture. So you only got about half the amount of sleep you would have gotten. 
and you went to bed 30, you fell asleep 30 minutes sooner. So you got about 30% of what you would have gotten if you didn't take the drug, right? So, okay, the, the prescription of the counter drugs aside, you know, the, there are a lot of things on the market, herbal supplements, right. plant medicines, uh, well, actually, same thing as herbal supplements, nutritional, other kind of nutritional supplements, melatonin. I mean, you have a product yourself, which I've used. I know a lot of people use it, but can you speak to the more natural approach to assisting one with sleep? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, obviously it's my dogma. So I, I, you know, I produce my products to fit my dogma. And my, my dogma is, I, this is supplemental. It's meant to restore things that are possibly or even likely to be insufficient in your brain and body around the time your brain's getting ready to go to sleep. Nothing about it does anything to make you go to sleep. It just brings the resources there. You're like, I'm bringing, I'm bringing lumber to the construction site. I'm not bringing a construction crew. Like you have the crew with you. So if your crew sucks, like it doesn't make a big difference. Uh, but most, but you know, that's usually like, a you know, there's some sort of uh, genetic or metabolic disease staple on sleep. If, if your construction crew is not working, which is really, really rare. Um, so, you know, we can go into detail of that later if you wanted to, but it's basically if we if we if we went to sleep the way we evolved to, right, which is responding to the blue light, you know, uh, ambient temperature going down, our core temperature going down, us becoming less active and less involved with our environment, and eventually falling asleep, and then waking up right around the time the sun comes up because that's when our cortisol wakes us back up, and some of that says our body temperature gets low. There's some cues there. And some of that's just we're replenished, right? Our brain is constantly sensing what's going on in our body and what's going on in our brain. And it's doing that while you're asleep. I mean, there's many times that your brain's more active while you're asleep than when you're awake. So your brain's not resting. It's like there's a lot of, it, there's a lot of coordination going on there. And your brain can sense that your body's well rested and the hormones have shifted back to a more wake promoting friendly state. And you're more regenerated, more regenerated, you're more anabolic and you're ready to hit tomorrow, right? So um, when, you, when you have uh, sleep drugs in there, you don't have those natural cues to wake up because none of that stuff's happening. But if you, regardless of why or how you get short sleep or poor sleep, when you wake up the next day, again, no matter what time you wake up and no matter why you got poor poor quality, whether it's drugs or stress or like whatever, or you just didn't get enough sleep, no, regardless of the cause, when you wake up the next morning, you're, you're just simply not as capable. All of that restoration that would have woken you up, didn't wake you up, an alarm clock woke you up, or your stress hormones woke you up. Because as I was saying earlier, that your, your cortisol crawls up over the course of the night, and at some point it gets to a level that's not consistent with sleep, right? And then to go to sleep at night, you have to get lower than that level that wakes you up, right? So your stress hormones have to come down. Well, if we live at super high stress levels, it's harder to go to sleep and you're going to wake up sooner, right? And then you just aren't simply getting the, the restoration and recovery. So all sleep drugs are bad. All I did with my product was try to say, this is how we evolved. These are the changes that would have happened. We need these we need these minerals and these vitamins to be able to do this stuff. And hopefully your body does all that. Herbals, there's a lot of herbal research. Like I've read the research as far as 
what like do these things work clinically like when we do clinical trials do these things improve sleep and how much and what does the sleep architecture look like there are definitely herbs that help i'm not educated on them to be honest just because it's not my area of expertise and i don't i don't want to pretend like i know everything it's enough to just keep up with what i do um but there there definitely are things that work you know ashwagandha lower you know that's an adaptogenic controls your cortisol levels and if sleep is affecting if cortisol is affecting your sleep ashwagandha helps with that right um kava uh you know uh, what lemongrass uh valerian root. valerian root for sure there's uh um essential oil like scents like lavender scent um and improves the quality of sleep decreases the amount of time it takes you to fall asleep extends the amount of sleep you get a little bit and there's lots of things like that um you know, basically my thought with that is um like we don't have necessarily lavender receptors. So there's like, we don't have like a daily recommended dosage of lavender. So I like, as a medical doctor, I, I'm not the right guy to make that decision. But my thinking of that is, hey, if it exists in nature and it helps you sleep to include marijuana and CBD, like if this stuff ex exists in nature and it's beneficial to your physiology, why not? Like, you know, as long as there's not known poor consequences, right? Well, and that's a caveat. Let's point out the kava. People should be very careful and talk to their medical professional right. because there's some research that suggests that kava has problems with certain people's, I think, kidneys or, or yeah. kidneys. I, I think it's liver. I think it's liver toxicity. And, yeah, and I almost cool. mentioned that, but I said, I don't, I don't want to. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'll put other for you. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right, so one last question for you. If you're going to recommend a sleep ritual, mm -hmm. And I'll, and I'll tease you with like a thought, like blackout blinds or eye shades, don't have certain things in your room and then do X, Y, and Z. What might those things look like? Yeah, so um, I break this into two components, right? So there is, as far as a sleep ritual, it, it's really, it's super simple. Really, really simple. Because if you've ever had, if you've ever had kids or if you've ever been a kid, you probably remember this protracted period of getting ready for bed. You don't take a three-year-old banging trucks and blocks together, throw them in a bed and turn off the light and walk out of the room. No chance of that working. Why? There was no ritual. There was no preparation. So what I talked about earlier, evolutionarily, the way we evolved to be part of this spinning sphere right now is when the light went away, chemicals changed in our brain, our body temperature went down, our neocortex quit being as involved in our environment, we felt tired and we went to sleep, right? Now, in the modern age with electricity and all the stuff that people know about, that gets in the way. And it's not just the light because it's also the stimulation because I told you that we have to quit paying attention to our environment. If there's anything causing you to focus to your external environment, that's going to interfere with your sleep because sleep means by definition, you're not paying attention to your external environment. You're not worried about your external environment. So sleep hygiene, as far as like, oh, get rid of the light, do this, do like, that's really simple. Think about 2000 years ago, what, what would have people done? Or go camping for a weekend and figure out what you're doing differently that's allowing you to fall asleep two or three hours after the sun goes down. Because that's all it is, right? It, it's baked into the cake. It's, that's super easy. Don't put light in your eyes. Don't stimulate yourself. 
try to keep your body temperature down. So don't go exercise. Don't do a CrossFit workout 30 minutes before bed. Don't try to work on a stressful work project right before bed. Don't have an argument with your spouse right before bed. Don't watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre right before bed. No matter what light's going in your eyes, light going in your eyes or not, you're, that's another way to override it. So we can override it by putting light in our eyes. We can override it by stimulating ourselves. And we can override it to some degree to uncomfortable body temperatures, right? Because that's paying attention to our environment, right? So our, our core temperature drops, the light goes down, our core temperature drops, our brain quits paying attention and we, and we fall asleep. And that's all there is to sleep hygiene. Now you can extrapolate that to a million things, but basically dark, cold, and quiet. That's it. Perfect. I love it. Now, the other part of the sleep ritual though, this is the more important part. The other part of the sleep ritual is you have to have a sleep ritual. And it doesn't matter if you think you don't need a sleep ritual because you do need a sleep ritual. And here's why. Because every, everything, that you're, everything that you do as a human being has external cues to let you know that you should be doing those things or give you feedback as to whether or not you're doing those things right to include going to sleep. So if I do sleep hygiene correctly, but I'm stressed out of my mind, no help, doesn't do any good. So the other component of that is you have to agree to two things. First, you have to agree that sleep is super important. If you don't agree with that, that's the number one thing. Spend five hours on the internet, do your own research, convince yourself this is, should be your top priority, but is at least way up there on your priority list. You're 90% of the way there at that point, just knowing that. Because if I said, hey, I'll give you $10 million to sleep eight hours a night for the next 30 days, who wouldn't figure out a way to do it? Everybody would figure out a way to do it. If, you're, if you care enough, you'll figure out a way to do it. So first, get yourself to care enough. Secondly, realize that you can do this sleep ritualization, which is easy to do, and you can figure out what's specific for you and your environment and your house and like how you handle that and relation to other family. Like your, your situation is unique, but you can get those concepts down and you can fine tune those concepts over the course of months or years, like get your sleep better. But how do you control the stress? So I said, there's two things. One, realize sleep is important. Two, realize that the best you are ever, the, the very best you ever are is after a good night of sleep. So if you have stressful things to deal with or even stressful things to worry about, there's no better time than after you've rested really well. The absolute worst time is when you're poorly rested. The longer you're awake, the worse your functioning is, right? If you're awake for 24 hours, you don't function nearly as well as if you've been awake for six hours or 12 hours, and you still don't function as well as if you would have been awake for six hours, right? We progressively get worse over the course of the day. So the worst thing you could possibly do is to say, hey, it's 3 a.m. I just woke up. I'm going to think about my bankruptcy, or I'm going to plan what I'm going to say tomorrow in divorce court, or what? No, absolutely the wrong thing, right? That's like saying, hey, I'm going to give you eight months to prepare for a competition that's critical to your life and well-being. And at four months, you're like, yeah, I don't need the other four months. Let's go. No one would do that. And sleep's the same way. You don't do that after four hours of sleep. So I tell people, take a piece of paper, draw a line straight down the middle of it, right? Vertical line. On the left side, you write your to-do list. And that's dependent upon you. Whether it's a what do you have to do the next day or what do you have to do for the next six months? I don't care. Like how far out do you think? 
to-do list, everything you can possibly think of that you need to do. And you do this during the day when your brain's functioning well and you're not tired and you're well-fed. And then on the right side of the lane, line, that's the to-worry list. And the to-worry list is crap you have no control over, but you don't want to forget to worry about it. So we're going to make sure we give you the opportunity to worry about it. Because if you wake up in the middle of the night and you go, I won't think about this tomorrow, man, and I really need to think about it. So it's going to be on the list. Now I have my list, everything, I'm, everything I need to do, everything I need to worry about. Now the agreement is, this is the second part, I am the best at handling this list after sleep. So until I sleep, I'm not going to think about that list. If I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm not going to think about the list. It's on the list. I'm going to handle it when I wake up. So now we have our sleep ritual. We know we need time to get ready to go to bed. I recommend an hour, whatever you can do. If it's only 30 minutes and that's all you're going to do, then that's it. But you set an alarm clock to give yourself enough time to engage in your sleep ritual. You get into bed, you set an alarm clock to get you out of bed. Even if you don't need an alarm clock, you set an alarm clock. And then you put that alarm clock under your bed or in your drawer or under a towel so that you don't see it. And you make a pact. I'm going to handle my list when my morning alarm clock goes off. So my nighttime alarm clock, and my morning alarm clock are equally as important. When I wake up in the morning to my alarm, I get up and I get after my list. Before that, I don't think about my list. So if I wake up in the middle of the night and I don't have a clock, first of all, I don't know what time it is. So that saves me a lot of stress right there. Because as soon as I know what time it is, I start doing mental math about, well, okay, hell, and maybe I should just get up and get, and, and now I'm thinking about all sorts of stuff and I'm waking myself up, right? I'm overcoming the lack of attention to my external world. So my alarm clock, go, or my, I wake up in the middle of the night. <clears throat> I have no idea what time it is. If I need to go to the bathroom, I get up, I go to the bathroom, I come back, I lay back down on my bed, and I say, you know what? My alarm clock might be going off in five minutes. I'm going to lay here and relax. I'm going to do some breath work. I'm going to do some visualization. I'm going to do progressive muscle relaxation. I'm going to meditate. Whatever it is I can do to distract myself and not think about my external environment, and just lay there calmly until my alarm goes off. If it's two o'clock in the morning, you're going to go back to sleep. If your alarm clock goes off 30 minutes later, great. You got seven and a half hours of sleep. You got 30 minutes of meditation. You're ready. Get after it, right? And no matter how long it takes you to fall asleep and no matter what time you wake up, your focus is the same. I'm not going to think about my external environment. It's on the list. If there's something I forgot on the list, I can, I give you permission, get up and put that on the list and go back to bed. I'm not thinking about anything on my list because I'm, I'm going to handle that when I'm prepared and I'm prepared in the morning. Right now is my time to get prepared. I'm going to sit here and prepare. Nice. And that's, that's awesome. it. Like that, that's 100% of sleep yeah. hygiene right there. Those no, two things. That. Now, yeah. you, you have a book. You've given yep. talks. You have a product. Where can people learn more about your whole work? Uh, so Doc, Doc Parsley is short for doctor. D-O-C-P-A-R-S-L-E-Y, like the herb docparsley.com. It's got everything, my TED talk, my podcast. So we'll put this podcast on there if you want. If you want to talk, uh, talk to my people, we cross promote stuff. Uh, lots of lectures I've done on there, blogs, information about my product, my book, eBooks. There's all sorts of stuff you can get on there. Any, anything, anybody want to geek out on sleep? There's a lot of geeky sleep information on there. Awesome. Well, make sure to put that in the show notes. Uh, Kirk, great to see you. Great to talk to you. And uh, stay safe out there, man. I will. I'm always safe, man. Right on.